and welcome to episode four of the SkyCast, presented by Locked On Women's Basketball and High Post Hoops. I'm your host, Nick Meendorf, here to talk to you about all things Chicago Sky. Now, the SkyCast went on a brief break as I had the opportunity to travel with some of my family. But don't worry, we'll be making up for lost time on today's pod. Now, the Sky are just over a quarter of the way through their season, which means it's a great time to look back at the season thus far. I'm going to be running through all the games this year, talk about what I like and didn't like from each game, and then discuss overall trends for Chicago. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on Twitter, LockedOnWBB, and High Post Hoops for 24-7 coverage of women's basketball. If you're interested in having any comments or questions answered on the pod, shoot me an email at theskycastpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter at Neendorf21. Now, I think as, you know, just people who follow the WNBA and considering how short this season is, it's so easy to get caught up in the game-to-game basis. And I think one of the games that represents that more perfectly than anything is the Sky's opener, uh, which was at the Minnesota Lynx. It was an 89-71 to loss. And I got to be honest, you know, I had a lot of optimism for this team coming into the season. I saw a lot of things on this team that felt different from last season and seasons past and things that had me excited that this could be a team that could, could make a playoff push, at least be competitive. But after that game against the Minnesota Lynx, it did kind of feel like, all the negative attributes of the sky that everyone knew about heading into the season because they're the same negative attributes that have plagued them the two seasons prior, all those attributes kind of reared their ugly head. The sky's offense wasn't great. They turned it over a ton. Their defense was terrible. It was just kind of this conglomeration of all the ghosts and all the things that have plagued the sky for the past few years. All those things showed up in this game. And so after this game, I think that I definitely had a bit more of a gloom and doom perception of the team. I had more doubts than I had going into the season. And this guy's next game against the Seattle Storm, which was at home, an 83-79 win, really didn't dispel many of those doubts because the sky still looked like a team that was kind of just hanging on the edge. They were still turning the ball over a ton. Their defense was suspect. It had They had frequent defensive lapses on defense. They were easily out-rebounded, gave up second-chance efforts. And then, you know, you talk about the third game of the season, the Chicago Sky go to Washington to face the Mystics and Elena Della Don on 103-85 to loss. Again, just absolutely no defense being played by the team. It just felt like the Sky were exactly what, you know, pessimists or realists had said they were going to be all offseason that they were going to be a team that was okay on offense, but so bad on defense, so bad in certain key areas such as turnovers and rebounding that they were just going to get swept off the floor most nights. It really felt like that, even though, you know, again, a one and two start when you look back on it is such a little portion of the season, but it, it, it is, it did feel very dire in Chicago at that point, at least for me, that's how I felt. But Time can change all perspectives, and it feels silly now to have been fretting about a one and two start when you consider the amount of optimism that surrounds this team now, when you consider how much hope there is for a playoff push surrounding this team. Even though this team still has very real problems that we're going to discuss later, you know, it does put it in perspective that, hey, a one and two start happens, but you can still write the ship. And the Sky did write the ship after that. They won four in a row. Two of those uh, wins were away. And that first win, of course, came again at home against the Seattle Storm. And then they controlled Brittany Griner and the Phoenix Mercury at Wintrust Arena in a, in a tight-knit game. And so it kind of felt like you were watching two different Sky teams. When they were at home, when they were at Wintrust Arena, 
They were, you know, able to hang on the games down the stretch and close them out. But as soon as they went on the road, they forgot how to play basketball. And so it kind of became this meme that, hey, you know, the sky will give you 17 wins at home, but they're also going to give you 17 losses on the road, which, you know, depending how things shake up, might be good enough for the playoffs. But then their next two games really kind of changed that conversation. And at least from my perception, made this team a team to talk about. They made them a team to beat, and that's because they won two games on the road uh, against the Indiana Fever and against the New York Liberty. Now, when you look at the New York Liberty or the Indiana Fever, neither of those teams jump off the page to you. The records don't jump off the page, but the simple fact that the Sky were finally able to go on the road and grab two good wins felt so huge. It was just a big sigh of relief for the team because it showed that they can win on the road and they were able to play in a way that was more in line with how they had been playing at home. And so those two games stand out to me as some of the biggest wins of the season because it really it really did change the conversation about the sky. They went from this team that was kind of just puttering along that was, you know, intriguing because of how bad they were on the road and how decent they were at home. They weren't great by the numbers. And it kind of changed the conversation. And it put them not among the elites, but among the teams that seem like legitimate playoff contenders. And that's what the Sky continue to be. They would go on to lose at home against the Indiana Fever, their first home loss. But then they'd bounce back with a really good win at home against the Connecticut Sun. And that win over the Sun really showed a lot about what I like with the Sky. And that's, you know, you had just such a strong bench performance that balanced out a week's performance from the starters. Obviously, Shan Parker just played out of her mind. But, you know, a lot of nights when the Sky are really playing strong, it's an overall contribution to the bench. It comes through their defense. It comes through them chipping in points here or there. And I think that's pretty huge for the Sky because so far, you know, players like Diamond to Shields, There are some nights where she's just going to completely dominate the game, but there's other nights where she's going to be off. And that's common with isolation scorers. There are nights where Courtney Vandersloot is going to be able to give you 10, 12, 15. There's other nights where she's going to go 2 for 8, 2 for 9. And obviously Allie Quigley has had her struggles this season, which I'll talk about later in the podcast. But I think with the inconsistencies of those three in terms of scoring the ball, having a reliable bench – that can give you those contributions is huge for them and it has been big for them. And that's kind of something that's emerged a lot for the sky. But then the sky would go on the next game, which happened just this morning as I record this. And they lost 81 to 74 at home to the Washington mystics. And really it was a game that the sky had every chance to win. And I don't mean that in the sense that there were a couple plays down the stretch that they just kind of, oh, well, if those play go this way, you know, they'll, they'll win the game. But in the sense that the Sky just shot themselves in the foot every step of the way. They had 17 turnovers, allowed 17 points off those turnovers. And that was really the story of the game. It's what Coach Wade and the players talked about a lot in the postgame presser. Turnovers just were the reason that they didn't win. You can talk about their spotty defense, which, again, their defense was not great at all in that game. They really got handled on the pick and roll, especially in the first half. Mystics got as many layups as they wanted. They hit some tough shots for sure. Uh, The Mystics are going to do that too, obviously. They're such a talented offensive team. But they also got way too many layups. And, you know, you're going to give up layups 
but the sky just gave them up time after time after time. And luckily, they were able to rotate over and get some contests near the rim and, and force some misses, as, as well as the Mystics just missing some bunnies near the rim. But when the defense is kind of spotty like that, the sky just don't have any room for error, which is it's disappointing because the defense had been looking really good. But again, at the end of the day, the story is, has been, and will continue to be turnovers because when the sky turned the ball over, they don't leave themselves any wiggle room. They don't leave themselves any room elsewhere to kind of, you know, have an, an off night. You know, you talk about Diamond to Shields had a really rough shooting night. Really just nothing was going her way despite some really good open looks. Courtney Vandersloot had a rough shooting night and, you know, a good playmaking night, but, you know, nothing that stands out, at least by her standards. Overall, the bench was, you know, decent, but not a standout performance by them at all. I think a big thing was Cheyenne Parker not really getting going until later in the second half, and they really they really missed her production early on. She was really a non-factor in the first half, so... Again, when the Sky are turning it over like that, there's just there's so little they can do elsewhere to make up for that. There's you know they're just not a team as of yet that's going to blow you off the floor night in night out while making all those mistakes. When you sacrifice that many possessions on a night to night basis, you're obviously going to drop games, and and it's been a problem for the Sky all year because they can't put teams away and they they let teams hang around. And in in this instance, they couldn't mount a successful comeback because they kept turning the ball over and. They kind of just let the Mystics lead the whole way through. So I thought this game was a good, you know, again, after the high of the win against Connecticut, you kind of get the low of this of this loss. And it kind of, you know, I think it's sobering for expectations. The Sky are 6-4 and four now, which is still, relative to expectations, a great start for them. I was saying that, you know, if the Sky could hang around exactly at 500, you know, through like 18 games of the season they'd put themselves in good enough position to possibly make a playoff push as they develop but for them to be at six and four right now obviously only two games above 500 but still 10 games into their season that's that's a good mark to be at that's nothing to to scoff at but again with this team I think this upcoming game against Seattle is going to be so important because they I really get the feel that they, they cannot drop this game at the very least, they cannot drop the next two games. I don't think the Sky are good enough yet to be able to afford a brief losing streak. And again, that kind of goes with the rest of the WNBA. It sounds it sounds stupid to say, but losing streaks can derail a season. There just aren't enough games in the season to be able to lose multiple games in a row. But with the Sky especially, when you consider kind of the lead in the season that they built for themselves, dropping two or three games in a row would really be just a, a huge blow to the momentum that they built thus far. If they if they drop down to six and six or six and seven, I think that would be a really disappointing move for the team. And I don't necessarily think they will. I do think that this is a team that has really good bounce back ability. I think this is a team that can can come to Seattle to a team that they've beaten twice already this season. They know them well. I think they can go to Seattle and grab themselves a good win. But as far as turnovers go, I just don't know. I really don't. This team just cannot get away from turning the ball over. They just continue to throw away possessions. That has been the biggest thing that's kept other teams in games. And to the Sky's credit, for the most part, they have pulled those games out. They have been able to withstand those third-quarter comebacks those fourth quarter comebacks and they've been able to pull out W's. But when you turn the ball over that much, you just reduce the margin of error so much for your team. 
And it's something Coach Wade has talked about almost every game after the fact. He's almost always mentioned turnovers as the biggest negative from the game. But the team just has not really been able to figure it out. And I think it's something that, to a certain extent, they can live with. To a certain extent, it's what just happens within the offense. But how sustainable that is for an entire season and whether or not those turnovers will eventually bite them, we'll have to see. Because I do worry about the sky because a lot of their wins have been close. And that's not necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily unique. A lot of wins in the W are close because there's so much talent in this league that teams are so capable of striking back at any point in a game. But with the sky in particular, the turnovers have always kind of left that window open for other teams. Even when the sky have looked as dominant as ever, they'll start turning the ball over a couple times and all of a sudden the other team can kind of get back within 10 points, get back within 12 points, just enough where the game is in question. So I do wonder what happens if the sky slide a little bit because a couple of those turnover heavy games, instead of them being tight wins that they hold on to, end up being tight losses that they just let get away from them. That's my biggest worry with this team because it's something that they have not shown much improvement on. It's something that really has been a problem the whole year. And while other things like defense and spacing and three-point shooting have shown improvements or have shown that they've kind of gotten figured out, turnovers remain the biggest problem. And I don't know what the answer is because this team has had a good amount of time to practice together. They've had a good amount of time to play with each other. And the development that's occurred in almost every other area of the Sky's offense and the Sky's defense, that development has not shown itself on the turnover front. It might just be something that the Sky have to live with during this season, but it is something that worries me in terms of the sustained success of this team. Now, as much as I would fear turnovers and their effect on the Sky's season and what their ceiling can be this season, I do think, as we mentioned, they, they are a team that's still developing, and I think there are some interesting things that could come down the pipe for them that could raise their ceiling a little bit more, even if the turnover issue doesn't get solved or at the very least is only addressed slightly throughout the season. I think one big area where the sky can can receive a positive boost is getting Katie Luce-Anielsen healthy and seeing what she can be for this team. In the game that she got injured, uh, taking a charge, she, she looked better. She looked more involved in the offense. Still a bit timid defensively, still a long way to go, but she's an X factor for this team. She's somebody who maybe Wade can plug in even if it's not for heavy minutes every night, but she's somebody that hopefully he can plug in to provide some good shooting, good screens, another option for him off the bench to add a little more scoring to the bench. Again, her defense is probably not going to be there this season. It's probably not going to be where she wants it to be this season, and it might not be there for a couple seasons, but offensively, if Wade can get her to a decent level, it gives him another look, and it really costs him nothing other than minutes from other players. It's really playing with house money. Obviously, if you play Katie Lou, you're playing her to help develop her for future seasons, but you obviously do that at the cost of other players' playing time. But I also think it can be something as a night-to-night basis. You know, when you think of how many bigs that Wade plays on any given night, you know, he really plays a full platoon, and not every single one of those bigs is going to be on that night. Not every single big is going to be having a great contribution that night. And so I think 
throughout the course of the season, those extra minutes where it's like, okay, well, Gentel's not playing great today. She's only going to pay 25 minutes maybe. Those extra couple minutes can go to Katie Lou. And across the whole platoon of bigs on the team, those minutes add up, and they they add up to significant play time for Katie Lou, who can hopefully contribute, can hopefully hit outside shots, but most importantly can get development for future seasons. You know, she was a top pick for the sky. That needs to be a point of emphasis across the season, even though they are making a push for the playoffs. I think another thing is figuring out how to continue to get Allie Quigley more involved. She talked at halftime uh, during the Connecticut Sun game about how this season she's felt less aggressive and about how teams have defended her a lot differently than years in the past. And I think if Wade can get her back to a level of scoring that she's seen in the past, that'll be huge for this team. Now, obviously, you think about her game against the Mystics. She had, you know, a great scoring night, shot it absurdly efficiently. But I really felt that, you know, other than, you know, I I liked early that she drove to the hoop. She got herself going. But then I thought as the night went on, you know, you look back at a lot of shots she made. They were within the flow of the offense. They were shots she's taking most nights, but they were shots she's taking most nights. The difference was they fell at just an absurdly efficient rate. She at one point was seven for seven, I believe. And so I don't think that game against the Mystics stands out to me as a turning point necessarily for Allie Quigley. I will say once she was hot, she had this just wonderful sidestep three that she hit off the dribble that I just loved. And I would love to see more of that from her. But I do kind of wonder, is is it just because she was really feeling it that night? She felt the need to take a, maybe a few more shots because the sky were struggling, but you know she literally just had not missed. Is that something we can expect in the future? Is it going to be kind of more these these up and down performances? Because I think with Ellie Quigley, she is such a team player and she is so committed to playing within the flow of the offense. She said after the Mystics game, you know, she doesn't set out in any particular game trying to focus on scoring in one particular way. She really, you know, not to use an old cliche, but she does let the game come to her. But at times I think that's to her detriment. Somebody like Diamond to Shields, you can tell there's some possession. She's just going to walk the ball down the floor and she's going to try to get a bucket. Courtney Vandersloot, too, at certain times will walk the ball down the floor and just know that she's going to take somebody off the dribble. You can just you see that look in their eyes and they're just going to kill you in isolation, kill you in the pick and roll repeatedly. Allie Quigley doesn't always have that same mentality on a a possession by possession basis. She is much more somebody who's content to work within the flow of the offense, which is wonderful for the sky to have. But I I do think with how good of a scorer she is, how good of a shooter she is and the way the offense is structured, that is something where I, I feel like she has more room to contribute there. She has a higher potential than what she's shown. Because I do feel like Wade's offense is pretty even keel. He doesn't seem to run a ton of plays just for one specific player. You know, it's a really motion-based offense. He did actually run a really wonderful elevator uh, screen play for Allie Quigley, and she got a really great, great look off of it, but, you know, just didn't go in. So I'd like to see some things, more things like that. I hope that's something that we'll, we'll see more of. Just plays ran specifically for her to get her good looks because she's certainly deserving of them. Now, I do think that this is an interesting discussion because Allie Quigley 
even though she hasn't been scoring the ball in the same way that she has in the past, she's still been shooting really well. It's really that her attempts have just gone down. Even though she's not scoring the ball the same way, her impact on the floor is, you, you can't miss it. Her gravity, which again, I think gravity can be an overused term because it kind of, we, we, we found a way to like perfectly describe what shooters like Steph Curry do on the floor with gravity. And I, I think some people are a little too quick to throw it around just because it is such a good descriptor. But I think for Allie Quigley, it's perfect when she's on the floor and she gets the ball coming off a screen in motion. Teams have to throw two defenders on her teams have been trying to just get the ball out of her hands, force her to make a pass. And it has been effective in terms of limiting her attempts, limiting how aggressive she can be. But to the rest of the sky's credit, they've made teams pay for the most part for playing that style. They've really stepped up. They've been able to hit open shots. They've been able to attack off the dribble when they get that pass and, you know, create mismatches against defenses when they decide to sell out on Allie Quigley. So even though her offensive production hasn't been quite the same this year, I think her offensive impact has been just as important as any year in the past. So I think it's another one of those things similar to Katie Lou, where Coach Wade is kind of playing with house money in that even if Allie Quigley kind of continues her current string of performances, maybe she doesn't have quite as many off nights as she as she has had at parts in the season where she, her attempts are really low. And But if she's only giving the team 12 points on a consistent basis and every now and then she'll, she'll drop a few buckets, I think her impact on the game is still really worthwhile and still really productive. Now, whether or not teams adjust to that lower volume, we'll, we'll see. But I think Wade is playing with house money in the sense that if he can get that production out of her, that's a huge step for the sky, and that's a huge boon to them in terms of increasing what kind of caliber team they can be. Well, thank you for listening to episode four of the SkyCast right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball and High Post Hoops. My name is Nick Niendorf, and if you liked what you heard today and want more coverage of the Chicago Sky, make sure you're following us on Lockdown WBB and at High Post Hoops. And if you're interested in having any comments or questions answered on the pod, shoot us an email at the skycastpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter.